Hello, this is TalkHouse Editor-in-Chief Michael Azarad, and welcome to the TalkHouse Music Podcast. Transsexuals are the stormtroopers of the future. So says Genesis Peorich. Peorich is the visionary musician who has fronted profoundly influential bands like Psychic TV and Throbbing Gristle. While P. Orridge isn't a transsexual, they call themselves a pandrogyne, they do have a lot in common with the other half of this Talkhouse Music podcast, Laura Jane Grace. Grace leads the excellent punk band Against Me. Grace is transgender, but as P. Orridge points out, they both have done something very brave. They've transitioned in one way or another in front of their audience. A word about pronouns. P. Orridge call themselves we because they feel at one with their late wife, Lady J. P. Orridge have made provocative avant-garde art since the mid-70s. And besides leading Psychic TV and Throbbing Gristle in the 70s and 80s and beyond, thereby inaugurating the genre of industrial rock, they've lectured at the Museum of Modern Art. And the renowned Tate Modern Museum in London recently bought their archives. They are iconic. As Grace says here, someone like yourself is so important to me. Against Me's acclaimed sixth studio album, Transgender Dysphoria Blues, was released in early 2014, a couple of years after Grace came out as transgender. The band has seemingly been touring ever since. P. Orge and Grace found plenty to talk about. What it was like to transition in public, the mind-body duality, paranormal phenomena, the perennial bathroom problem, the perennial airport screening problem, courage, death, Caitlyn Jenner, a hilarious exchange about what to wear on stage, dealing with photographers who want you to show your boobs, and what P. Orridge calls a gradual shift in the way that gender and sexuality are perceived in our species. P. Orridge recorded their side of the conversation at their home on the Lower East Side in New York City. As they talked, they played with their dog, Musty Dagger. Grace spoke from a recording studio at an undisclosed location somewhere in the Midwest. This is one of the more fascinating and potentially visionary exchanges we've ever had on the Talkhouse Music Podcast. It's also one of the more risque, so if you're easily offended, maybe you'll want to check out one of our other podcasts. And away we go. So, you've been a busy girl. I, I have. I, I like it that way, though. <laughs> yeah. No complaints. Lots of traveling. So, how, how, where have you been traveling? What gigs have you been doing? Um, well, we just finished like a, a U.S. tour that was like maybe a month and a half long that yeah. ended in uh, Seattle. And then I went to the coast in Seattle for a couple of days and hung out. But before that, we were in Australia and uh -huh. uh, I was in Japan for a second. And then we were in Europe for a second. And then I'm leaving again today later on to head back to Europe. So busy summer touring. Uh, it sounds awful. I don't do that anymore. We don't do that. We we just do three or four gigs here and then stop for a month and then three or four there. Getting old. <laughs> we used to do those month, two month tours. It's it's you go into a really strange place, don't you? A sort of a different zone so that at the end of it you kinda of go, well, Maybe I could do another month. Yeah. I mean time moves at a different pace yeah. when when you're travelling like that, which is something oftentimes I have a hard time like conveying to friends. Um 
just like the way I stay in contact and stuff because months seem more like days in a weird way Um, and I can like pick up I have to you know you have to pick up right back up in life where you left which which like paused a month ago or so when whenever your tour started you know and then tour world is is such a different world yeah I don't think many people understand what it's like the the touring world at all they have no idea because they just see one evening in one day and think it all looks all glamorous and it must be wonderful traveling and you try and explain well we see the inside of the bus we sleep on bunks if we're lucky (laughs) and we get to somewhere and look for food scavenge something to eat and then we do a sound check and then we scavenge something to eat and then we go on stage (laughs) then we have to pack everything away and then we get back on the bus and lie in a bunk bed and there's usually the same graffiti on every dressing room wall that kind of thing it gets right. To be no, a, totally. It's a, it's a very <laughs> different time time zone. I've always compared it to living in a submarine, you know. But <laughs> you have to. I, I try to like keep that in in context, though. That like people coming to the show, like this is their one night, like where they're like, oh, I've been looking forward to this show for however long, you know, about my tickets in advance. And right. They don't they don't realize that for you, you're doing it day after day, but you want to make it special for them because of that, you know. Right. Well, usually once you're on the stage, you you light up, you get that adrenaline and and you see the faces of the people, like you said, who want to be there. And the energy flows. That's the best bit, being on the stage, really. Well, that's the whole reason you're doing it. You mentioned your uh, your sleeping schedule when we first started talking or whatever. Like, is is that something that you've always kind of kept or something you gradually, uh, you know, evolved into those hours? We've always been really bad at sleeping. <laughs> we even tried once back in the in the, the early 70s, we decided to see if sleep was overrated and there was a way to get more done in a day. And so <laughs> we decided to just not sleep and do two days of work a day. And then we decided, why should it be always at the same pace? What about if we did it fast? So we would run on the spot while we were doing things and walk as fast as we could and so on. And after about 10 days, we collapsed and had a nervous breakdown. <laughs> so the answer is you need sleep. But somewhere in between that and touring and being in different time zones, we've ended up with four hours, five hours being enough. Right. Um, that's probably from touring for 40 years. Yeah, I, I have a, I've, I've read a couple like random things that talk about like the sleeping patterns of artists or political leaders and stuff like that. And I'm always fascinated by it. And like, like a... Uh, a lot of the the presidents or like people like that, you know, will usually do like four or five hours, maybe even less sometimes. Yeah, it's doable. It's definitely doable. We try we try to force ourselves to relax by reading books. So we might go to bed at three in the, in the morning, but we read for three hours or write in the diary or something like that. So right. at least the body's resting, even though the brain never stops. <laughs> That's right. the problem. The brain won't stop. <laughs> My feeling is that we've both been leaders or singers or the focal point of bands, and we've both transitioned in different ways in front of our audience. And uh, in your interviews, you say that your audience basically took it in their stride. And so did ours, which most people are really surprised by. You know, we didn't even make a, uh, an announcement. Um, I don't know if you know the story of what happened, but myself and my now dearly departed other half, Lady J, were married in 
on uh, Friday the 13th of June, 95. And during our time together, we got more and more fascinated with the evolution of the species and the problems of human behavior and that basically binary systems are the the critical problem you know the either or uh, the black white gay straight christian muslim you name it whatever the other either ors are and we thought maybe this the problem is that we haven't evolved into a unified being that's the divine hermaphrodite the male female not either or male or female, but both, the, the sort of the final version of humanity. And so we started to do, to dress the same and mimic each other's behaviors and then wear the same clothes and the same hairdos and then eventually get matching breasts and so on. Um, and we called it pandrogyny, positive androgyny. Uh, and the audience just didn't bat an eyelid. And we have two daughters from a previous marriage we, we rang them up, we thought we'd better tell them before they read about this somewhere. And so we rang up and my eldest daughter, Caress, just went, Oh, well, you've always liked dressing up, I guess it's not a surprise. And the other one, Jeunesse, just said, You mean you spent money on breast implants and you could have bought me a new car? What a waste <laughs> of money! <laughs> and that was it. That was how unimportant it really is, you know? Right, um, no, for sure. But the difference with some people, it's not really a gender thing with us, it's a negation of gender idea for us. You know, the raising of gender altogether. That in a perfect world you'd have a vagina and a penis and breasts and have everything that gives you pleasure. And that the human species should all be the same so there's nothing to fight over. So that was the sort of basic simplified idea. Right. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm familiar, of, like, you know, I've seen your documentary um, and I'm familiar with who you are and mm-hmm. I, I'm, a, I'm a big psychic TV fan for the record. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, I, that all is like really fascinating to me. And I, I wasn't sure, you know, going into this, actually, if you considered it transition in the way that most people say transition now. Um, I, I, you know, which was one question I had for you. So that hearing you refer to it as transit as transition is interesting. Well, we 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 use that because it's a sort of, I guess we're thinking about the audience as well. Uh, right. We never thought of it as transitioning as much as evolution. You know, one of our slogans is "Viva la evolution," and <laughs> we wanted to demonstrate that the human body is not the person. Um, that identity is the way the brain operates, its memories, its sensory uh, input and output. Um, the mind is the person. And ultimately, the body's supposed to be discarded altogether and we become pure consciousness. That's our belief. And so this is a step symbolizing the beginning of seeing the species differently and looking towards an ultimate future where there is no either or and ultimately there is no body there's just divine thought and divine consciousness see we want to be together without bodies you know lady jay's already dropped her body as we say and we've uh, we've made a pact that if it's at all possible we want to find each other's consciousness and then blend into one being the pandragine that's neither of us both of us combined and that's why we've been doing a lot of work with Tibetans and so on who 
who's claimed to reincarnate and having met some of the Rinpoches and the Lamas we believe they can not many but some can and if the Dalai Lama's consciousness can leave a body and then come back in another body that means it's possible and we believe that's truly happened so we wanted to see if we could do it too um, and we set up a system of thoughts for you know when one of us drops the body if it's true that you can still contact each other how would we know it was real how would we know that the other person was contacting us um, and we came up with three sort of three things that we would need to 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 see to believe that it was real contact and it wasn't just wishful thinking oh I thought I heard Jay speak to me or we thought we saw Jay in a crowd or something like that and so we decided that the, the three things were if we contacted each other it had to be something that physically happened and second it had to have witnesses so it wasn't just you saying it happened and third it should have some special meaning that both of us recognized and no one else would um, and then three days after the funeral and the burial of Lady J's body we were sitting in the living room of our old apartment and some of Psychic TV were there, my daughters were there, there were about seven other people sitting in a semicircle and my children were saying oh you should come back to California with us so we can look after you and we were saying well, I don't know if we want to go to California and so they were saying oh please come to California and we were thinking suddenly in my head was this thought really strong if we go we need a photo of me and Jay together to take which is a weird thing to just suddenly think but we followed it up we went through to the bedroom and on Jay's side of the bed were all these photos of us kissing all over the world from Tibet to Thailand to London and she called it the kissing wall and we were looking at the pictures thinking we should take one of these and of course there in the middle was a picture of us both in Kathmandu wearing red robes sitting on a bench together and it just was a blob of red with two heads kissing and we thought that's it that's perfect that represents exactly what we want to be a unified field that's made of the two of us and so we took the picture off the wall and walked back through the apartment put it down face down on a, a, a cupboard by the window sat back down in the chair about five feet away and the kids said again so are you gonna come to California and as we went uh, the picture rose up about three inches floated across until it was right in front of me turned the right way up and then sank slowly to the ground in front of my feet Wow! and to this day we're so grateful there were people there because it's hard to believe it happened but everybody saw it and once in a while we'll say to the PTV bass player Alice or someone did we really see that picture float across and she'll go yeah we did it's very spooky um, and it fitted it was something that physically happened it had special meaning and there were witnesses that yeah. opens up a real can of worms is about what is existence I mean, are we really here at all what does material mean you know is the body even real too you know what is here is it all illusion um, and what is the purpose of being here is it to learn is it to gain wisdom or what uh, so 
in terms of the transition idea, we like to take the, the debate away from that to look at sort of a bigger picture about the nature of reality and the purpose of existence, if we even do exist. And if we don't, what is it that seems to be existence? So the biggest questions of all. Um, anyone who's taken a psychedelic knows the world can disappear. So how real is sure. it? <laughs> um, and each of us exists in our individual universe. And the only one who sees everything that happens to us or around us is ourself. So in a way, we're like millions of universes in one place or apparently in, in a sort of conf, uh, a grouping of, of universes and probably to learn to gain some kind of knowledge or awareness and that that has to be shared. Um, yeah. And that, that's where it, the unity comes in and the sharing, you know, sharing stories, sharing experiences, giving back what you know, telling stories. Um, and it meets all the other different variations of, of what we think is being exposed as the rumblings of evolution in the species with all the different forms of physical uh, adjustment, transitioning, um, all the different variations of what's possible with surgeries and genetics. All of those we think are rumblings that the species is at a, is at a crossroads where we either continue to regress back into the, the dark ages, as some would like us to do, dogmatic people would, or we actually move into a new area of taking control of the species and developing something that we call the humane species. And that focuses its energy on healing and wisdom and finding ways to experience all the universes and all the different possible galaxies infinitely and forever. <laughs> yeah. I think that's all beautiful, you know? Thank that, you. That, that's all so beautiful. Um, and yeah. I just suddenly thought, how crazy is that? <laughs> do you think, though, that... So do you think that, that that step you're talking about, I mean, do you think that, like, kind of the current uh, visibility with the transgender movement in, in the U.S., if you want to put it like that, like is a part of that um, evolution of consciousness? Absolutely. We, uh, we were, Psychic TV were on one of those six-week tours a while, a while ago, a few years ago, and we'd been booked to play in Phoenix at this club. And halfway, a, a day before we got there, we started getting emails from the GBLT community in Phoenix saying, don't play at this club because they don't let transgendered people in anymore. And, you know, you can't go and sing there because then you'll be betraying the community. So we just started communicating with these people by emails from the bus and what, what are you talking about? And it turned out that at this club, which will remain nameless, but at this club, some um, cross-dressing trannies had been using the women's toilets, which of course, as far as we're concerned, is totally natural and, and viable and should be the way. But somebody saw a transgendered woman standing and pissing into the toilet because the feet were the wrong way round and complained to the management that it was outrageous that men were using the toilet. <laughs> 
Now, personally, we do think that that person, if they were a, a transvestite or a transsexual or whichever variation, they should know by now it's better for everybody if any biological type of person sits down on the toilet. You know, no men should be allowed to stand up ever. But <laughs> having said that, the management banned all trannies, all transvestites, or anybody dressing in a sort of ambiguous way from the club. So then we rang the owner, and the owner said, oh, don't worry, um, you can use my private toilet, and you don't have to use the men's toilet like everyone else. And we said, no, 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 that doesn't work. You can't give us privileges just because we're in a band. Either everybody right. uses the women's toilets who needs to or desires to or feels that's the right place, or we don't play. So then there were these endless phone calls back and forth, and in the end, we, we just refused to play in that club um, to show solidarity. And then the bookers found another club in a shopping mall, so we went there, and we started to unload our gear for the second time, dragged it all into the club to begin sound check, and then the manager of that club came up and he went, I'm really, really sorry, but you can't play here tonight. And we said, why? And they said, the people who own the shopping mall that we leased the space from for this club said, if we allow you to play, they'll, they'll close our lease. And we said, why? And he said, they don't, they're Christians and they don't believe that you should be allowed to be here and propagate your manifesto, etc. So, so then we couldn't play there. By which time, a lot of the fans had already started arriving and were hanging around outside. And somebody who was just a fan rang around and eventually we ended up playing in a biker bar in Phoenix at the last minute. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was, that sounds like it would have been an amazing show it was great it was really great and there were some of the sisters of perpetual indulgence there and all kinds of people of all persuasions and about halfway through the gig it was so hot that we just pulled off our shirt and went topless and then we sort of said to the other, why don't we all just go topless? Fuck them all. <laughs> and so most of the people in the place, including the band, were stripped to the waist and carried on dancing and sweating. And then we all had a big circle outside afterwards. It turned out it was a red moon, one of those giant red moons. And somebody handed out mushrooms and we all sat around for hours and talked and discussed the insanity of that kind of attitude. But... At one point, they asked me to talk to um, ABC News, the local ABC News station for right. the TV. And we made a speech. And at the end of it, we said very, very sort of strongly, we go, transsexuals are the stormtroopers of a future. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, they used that one as the, the bumper sticker <laughs> all day. So every so often that day, people in Phoenix were hearing me saying, transsexuals are the stormtroopers of the future. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I know that Arizona in general had, I forget what the name of the bill was or whatever the law was they put in place banning transgender people uh, from whatever restroom or another. And there's other states that have done similar things. And that's always, you know, a constant, like, thing for me traveling around and touring too, you know. Um, but yeah, how do you deal with that? Do you, you, I assume you use the, the ladies' toilets. 
Yeah, but you know, to be honest, like I, I don't want to play a club unless there is the p private bathroom. Not just because I feel like no matter which restroom I use, that there would be attention on me, and I don't want a fan's interaction to be. I met them in the bathroom, you know, like, yeah. and I don't. It's I don't I don't like the um, that kind of attention just when I when I have to use the restroom. You so know? how how do they react when you meet one of the fans in in the restroom? I mean, usually it's you know like. It, people will go for a handshake or something and it's, you know, they haven't even washed their hands. Like it's not the place that you want to meet somebody or take a picture, you know, or, or anything like that. But, but they don't sort of say, they don't make fun of where you are or say anything about which bathroom you're using or. No, it's, yeah, that's not the issue. It's more just that that's the memory. That's the interaction that we met in the toilet. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't, I don't want that. Right. <laughs> but, um, I mean, like, yeah, go on. I was just going to say, like, I, I feel like more and more, uh, just traveling in general, like, I, I do see more unisex bathrooms being put in place, like airports and, and a lot of restaurants even, too, you know, like, it's becoming, I feel like, more more commonplace, you know? Well, it's been quite common in Europe for a while, especially France and Holland and so on. There's a lot of right. places where that's the standard. Um, right. My first experience with the bathroom issue was at JFK Airport with Lady J. And it was before we had breast implants, and so we were just dressed, just a little flamboyantly, rock and roll, and a bit of makeup, and had a bob, you know, like a 60s bob. And we went to the men's toilet to go pee, and the security guard came up and said, you can't go in there, miss. And we said, we can go in there, we need to pee. No, you can't go in there, miss. You have to use the women's toilets. And we said, it's illegal for me to use the women's toilets because I'm male, biologically male. He said, no, miss, you can't use the men's toilet. And then he called a policeman over and threatened to arrest me for trying to use the men's toilet when we were identified as male. And that's when we realized, you know what, fuck it. I'm just going to be a woman. You know, I'm just going to go with the woman thing because that's what they keep thinking we are. And so from then on, we've used the women's toilets everywhere in the world. Right. And no one said a word, no, not a negative word anywhere. Not, <laughs> surprisingly, we thought it might be the women who complained who sort of went, oh, what's that tranny doing in here, you know? But they don't. Right. No one's, no one's ever said a word. It's funny how it works out like that sometimes. Like, I, I went to a store the other morning, and... Uh, and an older person was walking by me with a with a kid and started making fun of me because of my tattoos. But he said she, so I was just so overjoyed that he... he Look at her with her tattoos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was so happy to be made fun of by them. Like, it was funny. <laughs> so have you always been um, ambiguous to the, the public, so to speak, to keep it simple? Have you always been... I mean, we've had it since being a teenager of being called Miss and Madam all the way through um, all my life before we did anything that was um, physically ambiguous. So, did you ever right. have that? No. Yeah, I mean, when I was a teenager, there was a period of time where I had long hair. And, and, and then, yes, but like, no, it, no, not, not for most of my 20s, you know. And, and really, like, that became something that was more and more constrictive as my band became more popular and I kind of got forced, like, or suggested into those, like, archetypes um, of, like, the male lead singer, you know, and 
for photo shoots and videos and stuff like that, like I just became more and more lost with who I was in the in that context and was having more and more trouble connecting with the audience because of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I I'm you know I'm a really self aware person too, and I I I feel like sometimes like. I'm too hypercritical of like being aware of the way I look and how people probably perceive me, you know, and, and with traveling, especially, you know, I'm often after the path of least resistance. I just want no hassle. I want to get through security. I want to get to where I'm going and get out of the airport, you know, and um, in a lot of those, those cases, you know, I just want, I just want to be invisible is more my goal. Ah, okay. <laughs> We've given up being invisible a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> We were at, we did the um, that thing in Austin. What's it called? South by Southwest. Right. And we were going back back home to New York. We got to the airport, and they just brought in those scanners that do the whole body. So we all go through the band go through first, and we walk through, and of course it goes off, and there's a big rectangle over my genitals, <laughs> <laughs> and they take me to this perspex booth that they've built that's about waist high and this very butch dykey woman has me there and she's saying well miss what is it you've got down there (laughs) (laughs) and we just thought you know what let's just have fun with this so we said well we have 11 piercings in a massive penis do you want to (laughs) look she sort of went um well, I should really search you, but we should do it in private. I said, no, let's just do it here. I'm not shy. <laughs> and she said, uh, well, are you sure you want to, to be searched here? I said, yeah. And I started unbuttoning my shirt. <laughs> she just let me go. She just couldn't deal with it. Yeah, I, I find in situations like that, kind of being open and head on and just like being like, okay, yeah, you want to see or whatever, like is, is, is usually the most fun route, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, I've had experiences where, like, I went through airport security one time and same thing where, you know, the, the, the scanner went off and after getting pat down, like, you know, have been made fun of by TSA. And I, I remember one person was like, this is, muttered like, this is why I hate my job or something like that. And just like, those are usually the instances of rudeness that I've received, you know, is in that kind of situation. And that's, imp- that's an important point because there is always that danger involved. The, mm-hmm. That's what people don't recognize. That, A, it's not just embarrassing. You're actually in danger if you get the wrong person who feels that they've been tricked into thinking that you were biologically female and somehow you've done that on purpose to them maliciously and therefore right. they have the right to be angry and violent and aggressive. And that's something yeah. that you have to be aware of all the time when you're in our situation. You just have to be. Um, Completely. Go on. Uh, just, no, I mean, you know, people with a s- small bit of power like that, especially, you know, who um, t- tend to abuse it in those situations. But, like, that that's always, you know, kind of the terror of, you know, getting running into the wrong cop or something like that and getting arrested or, or being in those situations where you're you're being detained or whatever, you are in danger and, and bad things can happen and, and do happen to people all the time. Exactly. And if you get arrested even on false charges or temporarily, you're also then at the mercy of other people in the male lockup, you know, who will then start 
quite often we'll start the, oh, you know, what are you? What are you? It's always, what are you? Or what is that? The number of times we've heard that in my life, we can't <laughs> even count. What is it? What are you? Did you see that? It's always this objecting, you know, objectifying you into a non-person. Um, right. And that's where a lot of the courage comes in that most people don't fully understand that every time you go outside, you are taking a risk. You are standing up for what you believe you are. You are standing up for the identity that you've chosen. And you're prepared to do it even though there's risk, even though there's danger, even though there's potentially death because people do get murdered on a regular basis for for being um, ambiguous is, is a word that we like. Uh, mm. It's a difficult world out there. Obviously, we have to address it a little bit, but the the whole Caitlin thing. Do you think what's what's your feeling? Is that going to be a positive or a um, negative in the end? Do you think? I think it's a a positive, like overall. You know, I, I've I've really kind of tried to stay fairly removed from it. In that, mm. you know, I I never I don't really watch TV. I've never seen the Kardashians that that reality TV show, so I didn't understand a lot of the like vitriol or hate that was surrounding that family. And then, you know, to me, Jenner's always been the person on the Wheaties box growing up. And and I mean, you know, I think that their fame as an Olympian is deserved and earned. And I mean. Uh, you know, obviously more power to them and uh, I'm totally supportive of their transition, whatever that means and everything. But also, you know, I, I don't know. There's a part of me that just doesn't want to watch the show or anything or just like to, I don't know, to because no, it, it, it makes it like it a spectacle. Yeah. I, I don't we know. I'm worried about the spectacle of it. One of my friends, uh, her father decided to transition to be fully female at, about in his 60s and is now called Marnie. I hope it's all right to say that name. Um, and she was talking to to Marnie about the Caitlin situation and said that, that there are a lot of people in the, the transsexual community who were upset and said, it's not courageous when you have a bunker which is a beautiful house in Malibu to retire to in order to go through all the different stages and you have more than enough money without even thinking to have everything you want done straight away. And then apparently Caitlin is already saying things like, it's so difficult being a woman and having to decide which designer gown to wear when you go out at night and who should do your hair and having to go and get your fingernails done all the time and that's not being a woman that's being a glamorous hollywood figure and that's not how it is for most people there's lots of teenage kids on the street in new york who are hustling and risking aids because they need to get money because they have to transition they have to change and they're prepared to risk their lives because it's such a deep need and they don't have all of that backup system and all of that pandering and all of that attention and all the safety nets of money and so on. And you know what? We realize that that really is a valid point. It hadn't crossed right. my mind, but it is giving this very false impression of the ease of which you could decide to do it. 
you know right. okay there's a psychological issue apparently in the program and people talk about oh but you're my dad and I, I feel like I'm losing you and so on but they don't address the privilege involved and we're not saying Caitlin isn't courageous in terms of the personal experience but the way it's being presented by the media could end up being really really damaging and it's not taking it, we actually saw one thing on the news and Caitlin's going I feel now I can be a spokesperson for the transgendered community and then later on she says I actually don't know any transsexuals this right. was what, I mean, what the fuck she's going to be a spokesperson and she doesn't she hasn't got a clue she's been living in her own bubble with her own issues dealing with them but she doesn't understand what it's like for the lady boys in bangkok or what it's like for the transsexuals in japan or what it's like for people in russia she doesn't know stop being a spokesperson you know go go away and just do it don't don't make it into this big glamorous hollywood do because it's 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 camouflaging all the suffering and and the pain and the danger that the majority go through right no i i, I definitely understand that that viewpoint a hundred percent you know and and it's tough because like you know on the one hand she is in this position where like you know, she would be criticized to not um, almost be a representative for the transgender community because of her level of fame or whatever and right. because of what she does. You know, she was already a, a reality TV star or whatever. Um, but but then on the other hand, yeah, there is that lacking of experience and that it does, you know, gloss over, it doesn't, not even just gloss over, but it doesn't even showcase that, you know, of the, that mo the struggles that most people face and like, you know, it shouldn't be representative of everybody's experience, but that doesn't mean that their experience isn't valid. Um, right. But, you know, I, I, I think that with that, like, that, you know, as far as surgeries and stuff like that go with Caitlin, like, that she did go through all those things, and I'm sure it was over an extended period of time that's just not represented in, in the way it's being portrayed in the media or whatever or on the show, you know? Right. Uh, um but you know that, that uh, there's a the other part of me though, like that understands all sides of those arguments, just doesn't want to engage in the argument. You know, just be I, I I just feel like focusing on it as opposed to pushing forward visibility should be the like main thing, and that it's I just want to keep a positive attitude with everything of of right. letting people you know represent themselves and hoping for more varied forms of representation being present and we'll have to watch and see how it unfolds maybe caitlin will develop some kind of foundation to help street kids and street hustlers that are transgendered you know to be safe and yeah. and so on you know it might be that something really wonderful happens we're not passing judgment but we hadn't thought it through on that level until we heard about this other this other view you know of yeah I, I think, I, I, you know, another friend of mine, too, had put it this way, and I totally agree, is that, you know, with talking about, like, representation, it's like, for me, like, Caitlyn Jenner does not represent my idea of where I'm transitioning or who I am or anything like that. So to be held to those standards, if that becomes the most popular conception of this is what you should end up looking like when you transition, it's like an unattainable thing for a lot of 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 younger trans people or for myself or whatever you know um which is which is problematic you know yeah 
So, and which is why someone someone like yourself is so important to me because I I see more of of you know my I, I find myself way more in line with you than you. than someone like Caitlyn Caitlyn Jenner you know. Well, we try. We've always had a policy from the very beginning, which is don't wear anything on stage that you wouldn't wear to go shopping. And, <laughs> and my, my policy, similar, is always don't wear anything you wouldn't be comfortable in spending a night in jail in. <laughs> so, yeah, that's oh a God. good one. Too. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go on. Though. Yeah, what were we going to say? <laughs> we've forgotten what we were going to say now. <laughs> It's it's just that we, 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 we sometimes we dress up, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we go out with a bit of stubble on the face and a pair of jeans, in fact, a lot of the time right now. And we don't see that, that there's one particular version of how we look that represents what we are. You know, we don't have to be wearing female clothing. We don't have to be wearing makeup. We don't have to talk a different way or act a different way or present some kind of cartoon. We carry on speaking the same way as we always have, acting the same way as we always have. And we found that that diffuses a lot of prejudice in the conversation with people who want to know more. Um, because you're not being a preconceived uh, stereotype of what people imagine is, right. is, is the sort of the breakdown of the narrative of gender. Um, and we found it's been really positive. We give a lot of talks over each year at universities and colleges and art schools and so on. And we have noticed that there's a massive increase in curiosity, genuine curiosity, and a genuine thirst for more information, not just about gender, but about identity, about what we are as, as humane beings. And um, where we used to get 30 or 40 people, now we get 300, 400 people, and we talk for two hours or so, and then they ask very astute questions, and there's a really supportive atmosphere building up. And that's part of what we were talking about earlier, that there's an undercurrent in the culture. When we began industrial music, we saw it as an inevitable thing that was under the surface but bound to happen. And then with piercing and tattooing, with modern primitive, primitives, the same thing. And when we came to New York, we used to look in the Village Voice, myself and Jay, and we'd see all the sex ads in the back. And in 96, 97, it was basically biological women offering sexual services to heterosexual men. Now it's almost entirely ladyboys, chicks with dicks, servicing heterosexual men. That right. is a massive shift in the zeitgeist, in the gestalt of the, of the species here. That all those heterosexual men want to go with ambiguous women. And that's a huge shift in the psychology of the society and culture. Right, but there's still a lack of owning up to that. I mean, I have a friend who oh, yeah. who works who works in pornography, and they're trans. And like you know, they made the point that everyone looking at transgender pornography online is you know heterosexual males. Oh yeah. And and but those people like are are the ones who still have the most shame over it and trouble accepting that or being public about that when there is no reason for shame on it. Of course, but 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 it still implies a shift. That's what we're saying, that beneath right. all of that is 
a gradual and definite shift in the way that gender and sexuality are perceived in our species because it's happening worldwide and we tend to think that that's one of the things Jay and myself looked at and thought there's an undercurrent here of something really different happening. Have you ever seen our film The Pandrogyny Manifesto? I have not, no. I've only seen the ballad. Okay, you can get it, you can see it on YouTube. Um, But we talk about the differences between what pandrogyny is and what, what gender politics can be in that we say and this is in no way negative about anybody's stance, but say some people think they're a man trapped in a woman's body. Some people feel they're a woman trapped in a man's body. The pandrogyne just feels trapped in a body. And so we see the body as just raw material. And therefore, it's ours to play with. It's ours to change, to rebuild, uh, to decorate, to mutate, and ultimately, we, we visualize a world where you decide, you know what, I would really like to have green fur. And you can have green fur. Or we'd really like to have horns. And we'd really like gills so we can live under the sea and so on. That In the end, the body is not the person. The body is not the thing. It's the mind that matters. I could not agree more. I, I, I think that's, yeah, very, very well put. I... I you know, and, and going back to what you said a couple a couple seconds ago, just in, in in regards to the kind of the attitude of you know sometimes going out with a little stubble on or whatever, you know that mentality just completely was what saved me and kind of pulled me out of the beginning stages of of mental transition into like you know okay you're you're jumping out of one box and then feeling this pressure to fit into this other box and not feeling like you're 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 measuring up to this and then just saying fuck the box you know and and existing as you are you know especially doing that publicly you know uh, um when you're when you're getting your photos taken for magazines or or when you're on camera or something like that you know having to surrender to just being being who you are and and being vulnerable in that way but at least it's honest you know do you find that photographers try and, and cast you as overtly female in photo shoots now? That they can um, look, they, I, see it or not maybe more as a novelty, like, oh, you know, can you just uh, show a bit more cleavage or could you just, you know, pull your skirt up or could you wear something more feminine? I don't know. Just curious. Right, well, that, no, that that's a pressure I have felt for sure, you know, specifically just like wear something more feminine or whatever. And... Uh, uh, you know, it's just, I, I hate feeling like that, and usually in those situations, or like going to uh, I, over the past like couple of years, I've had to do a couple of things where it's like opening events and going to that where people are really dressing up. But in those situations, it's my natural instinct to do the exact opposite and to rebel against that. You know, mm-hmm. and that if there's an expectation put on me on how I should look or how I should present, that I'm going to do the exact opposite of that expectation. Hallelujah. Um, sometimes. <laughs> 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 Fuck them all. Um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's it's you know it's helped me to survive and stay sane and and to uh, stay grounded in that way you know of of just of being who you are you know without any pretense in that way. Yeah. Some we we've had it not so much now but for a long time the most common thing people would try and push on to me was can we can you can you show us your breasts you know. Can you be topless constantly? They wanted to see the breasts, you know. And sometimes we 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 did it a couple of times, and we just thought, yeah, fuck off. 
no, no. We've done them in our own photos. We did a picture with an AK-47 and a top, a top was in a miniskirt. But that was deliberately to sort of say, you know, the wild girls are here. Fuck off. <laughs> right, right. Shut up or we'll shoot you. <laughs> <laughs> It's no, difficult. but it, you people, know a lot of those. Too. Sorry, go on. Yeah, you go on. I I was just going to say a lot of those situations though is specifically I found that you know with journalists or photographers most of the time it is a heterosexual male who's the journalist or who's the photographer who is trying to understand where you're coming from you know in their way or whatever. But then essentially like your interview is turning into like a, a, almost a therapy session for them. And it's like <laughs> missing the, po the point of talking to the broader audience that's reading or listening to it or whatever. <laughs> yeah, they tend to have cartoon images, a lot of them, um, <laughs> and not do a lot of research. We found it's rare now to get journalists who have done their research. Right. And actually get down to something that has some meat on it, you know. They'll they'll just go round and round with the press release that they read that was from six years ago or something like that. Which is frustrating because it, you know, in those in those situations, like the journalist is basically curating an understanding of what you're trying to explain to the audience listening to whatever you're doing. So then if it's a like heterosexual male who doesn't understand, you know, gender in the same ways that you do um, their their line of questioning, you know, dictates the narrative of the interview, and then it it's their presentation, which is always so frustrating. And of course, then you have the editors who come in and do their version as well. Right, right. I just wish there were more. Um, I don't know, even just gender fluid people working as journalists or or photographers. You know, it's going to happen. It's inevitable. It will happen. Um, the, it's definitely changed since when. Well, let's see. We got our. Myself and Lady J got matching breast implants on Valentine's Day 2003. <laughs> and <laughs> it was our present to each other. It was I love it. <laughs> it was hilarious. We, we went to this plastic surgeon in New York, a really kind of well-known high one. one of, he was on the front of New York magazine as the most, the best plastic surgeon in New York. And... We went and Lady J was a nurse and a dominatrix, so she was always interested in the body from the beginning. But she sort of sat there and she said, I'm interested in getting breast implants, and they talked back and forth about the pros and cons. And and then we were sat there with her, and then we, she kind of finished her conversation, and we looked at the doctor and just blurted out, and we want them too. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking, how else do we explain it? <laughs> and he just... Didn't blink, he just, oh, yes, we can do that. And we thought, well, that was easy. Yeah. And, I, you know, go ahead. Yeah, so when we woke up after the surgery, we got to the surgery the same day, and we woke up in the, the recovery room. We looked down and saw my breasts, and we looked at them, and we just turned to Jay and said, these are our angelic bodies. <laughs> And we we suddenly realized that it felt like being angelic, being having separated oneself from the tyranny of the body deciding how you look, what you are, you know, how you're perceived and so on. And it liberated us totally from feeling biologically restrained and by that restraint being socially restrained. And it was an amazing feeling. Yeah. That's, you know, that's something that I feel like oftentimes, 
I'm disappointed isn't understood in, uh, I guess, the tattoo and piercing community, and specifically, like, a lot of times in, in punk rock, I guess. Um, but, you know, that, that people will be very supportive of body modification if it's piercing or tattoos, but not understanding that plastic surgery is just as valid or of, of a form of that. And, and, but they see it as detached in this weird way, which I, I, I don't, I've never understood, you know? It's it's because it's it's seen as as gender again. It's seen as sexuality. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just so many contradictions in this culture. Um, Facebook have just taken my page down because why somebody added a photograph to my page in my timeline of me several years ago wearing silk, but you could see my nipples. We didn't even know it was on the Facebook page, and they've taken it down. And they also said, we're not going to put it back up until you prove that what your real name is. <laughs> like, how do, but it is my real name. <laughs> and this See, everybody on there is using fake names, so why are they stopping me? You know, is it what we put in as content? Because we obviously always put in anything that's pro-GBLT. Uh, anything that's to do with liberation, anything that's to do with injustice, we always put that up. And I can comment on it. So is that the real reason? Then my friend Hannah, Hannah Haddix, and that's her real name, had her page taken down because they said that it wasn't her name. (laughs) She had to send them the picture of her driving license. And they wanted me to do that. And we said, how do we know who's going to get hold of that information? And then you get some people who love what you do and you get some people, we've got a, a hate gen page on the web. You know, survivors of Genesis Peorage page, where all they do is say that they hate me. Um, you know, why why would we want people like that to get hold of our private information and cause trouble to my bank accounts? I've already had my my email account has been hacked and emptied three times. Everything in it was lost. All the condolence emails when Jay died, all got thrown away by somebody. All of them. A book that I'd nearly finished writing thrown away. They destroyed everything. Three times. That's terrible. Um, you don't know who it is, but there's this undercurrent of fear of people having the confidence to speak up. And that's what you're doing because you have a band. You can speak up. We can because we have a band and other projects. We can speak up. And it's really important that we do because there's no one else there to have the conversation with for, for a lot of people. You know, just as one time people would say, you must get this. I live in bumfuck Idaho, and if it wasn't for hearing your record, I don't know what I would have done. You've changed my life, or you've made me feel sure. okay. That must happen with you, I'm sure. Sure, and yeah. There are people out there who want to, to close that down, who want to isolate everyone. And it's really important for people like us to to keep speaking, no matter what. Because otherwise, there's always someone out there who thinks it's clever to shut you up, you know? I agree completely. I mean, what do you think about this Facebook thing? You know, there's no no nipples on Facebook, but they're all over the TV. They have programs where people are naked and pretending to fuck, and they might as well be because it's so realistic. And But you can't right. put your own nipple on Facebook. Oh, well, it's and, absurd. I mean, totally absurd. And then my nipples are actually biologically male. Well, that's like that. That's the the conundrum or whatever is that you know you you'd be flagged for posting a picture of it, or if you if you went into public and exposed your breasts, then you would be arrested. 
but then you'd be thrown into a male lockup, <laughs> like which you know. Yeah, exactly. That, <laughs> well, even insane. just that my my nipples, if we didn't have the breast implants, would not be obscene. They'd be male nipples, but because there's right. a breast behind them now, they're they're not male nipples; they're obscene nipples. It's insanity. And then you go on the beach, and it's okay to expose your nipples and sunbathe and wear a thong. So what the hell is, you know, where is this line that's drawn and who's drawing it? And then you go to another country and it's totally different. You can't show anything except your eyes. Right. And then you go somewhere else and it's another rule. So it's all arbitrary. Every social norm is completely arbitrary. No matter whether it's about the ways to dress, the, whether, the ways to relate to other beings, whether, you know, sexuality, coupling, whatever it is, it's totally arbitrary. And people need to get that into their thick skulls, that the body is not the person, the body is an expression of the person, if they choose to have control over it, which we should, all of us. And we have an absolute right to make our body however we want it to be, but that's not us. That's just another expression of what we think and how we relate to the physical environment. People really have to start thinking more and analyzing a little bit more and concentrating a little bit more about what the implications are. Who's responsible for this particular value? And why is it there and who does it suit? Burroughs used to say to me, when you want to know what's happening, Genesis, look for the person with a vested interest. And that's what's happening. And he's so right. Right. So who has the vested interest in playing games with rights and 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 uh, the way we, we all choose to live. You know, who has that right? No one, except people who want to control you. So who are they? Once you start thinking like that, uh, sort of analyzing it, so who wants to control me? And what right do they have to tell me how I wear, what I wear, what I look like, who I speak to, who I sleep with, who I don't speak to? Who are these people? What is it they really want? And the only thing they can want is control. That's the only thing they could possibly want that makes any sense. But why would they want control over other people? Why? What purpose would it serve? And that means they've got something wrong with them because it doesn't serve any real purpose. It's a sickness. Right. But it's, it's always been there, unfortunately. <laughs> it has, and we have to get it broken down as fast as we can. Yeah. Because there is a crisis going on. And it's definitely a crisis of perception. Yeah. Which is why we're the stormtroopers of the future. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> this is the world now. Move a fin and the world turns. Sit in a chair and pictures change. Try to eat us. What I'd like the conversation to be about is is what we're talking about here, you know, and in talking about it in an evolution of conscious way, you know, as opposed to uh, just being fixated on, uh, you know, the classic ways in which. Uh, 
gender transition is sensationalized or are really reduced to um, to just expressions of gender and and fitting into other boxes in that way, you know, and and it being misinterpreted as I I in those ways, you know. I mean, it, that that's why it's it's great having this conversation and hearing these things because these are things I think about, you know, and and uh, but it's you know it's I get that it's hard sometimes in in the context of an interview with a journalist to uh, to get to get into to it that deeply. Is it my turn now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your turn. <laughs> my turn. Gosh. Well, it's pretty obvious, again, from this conversation, you know, what would we like to talk about? We, we've been thinking a lot about DNA, you know. DNA is what supposedly dictates the way each person's body ends up looking. And we absolutely despise that idea <laughs> we think that we should as a species be taking control of dna and finally understanding that we all have the right to create any fantasy body we prefer whether it's scales or whatever just to start talking about what is a human species and then, of course, the next one is what is a humane species. And we think about it this way, that if you look at something like an amoeba or some other primitive organism, if something hurts, it damages it, it's wounded or something's wrong with its function, it will immediately apply all of its resources to healing and fixing whatever's wrong. If you look at the humane species as one huge organism and we're all the cells, the parts of it, and we start as a species, whenever something is wrong, wherever something is hurt, whether it's a war or a famine or, or a disaster, as a species, we apply all the resources that we have at the time to fixing that and healing that, then we'll be changed forever as a species. We will then always deal with healing and improving the situation for everyone. We'd like the species to focus like the Tibetans do on on the mind and on potential of consciousness so that we can start looking at other dimensions and traveling through space and time and reaching out into this universe and finding out more about what else is going on and how many universes there really are and what the people or beings are in them and so on. Just as Lady J used to say, I want to be everyone that's ever been. I want to be everyone and every experience and go everywhere and do everything. That's what we'd like to talk about. <laughs> well, good luck to us both. <laughs> we don't need luck. We have our own luck. Right on. <laughs> this is fun. Glad we got to meet. Yeah, me too. I, I, I'd love to meet sometime in person. I, sure. I, it's just such a pleasure to talk with you. It really is. Well, next time you're in New York, give me a bell. Okay, I, I will do that. <laughs>
This is Michael Azred, Editor-in-Chief of the TalkHouse, and thanks for listening to the TalkHouse Music Podcast. Thanks to our producer-engineer, Elia Einhorn. For more TalkHouse Music Podcasts, and for lots of great writing about music by some excellent musicians, visit thetalkhouse.com slash music.